glad you're here. Uh, what a great time in worship as we have uh, taken the last few moments to uh, offer him our praise and worship because offering is not just in monetary value, but offering is, according to scripture, our praise and worship to him and our life to him is also an act of worship. We're grateful for you being here with us this morning. Um, the Primal series that we're in is a series uh, that we're going through a book study together, but I want to start off and talk about that the main idea of this sermon series is to create dialogue and synergy in the people of the Bridge Church for us to be humane in our presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We intend for this to be a lesson on Christian humanities, being all things to all people that by some means may we win some. And to empower us to know the historical success and faults of the church, to prove a point of what Christians are perceived to be by those who are lost. That means those that are not yet found. We have all been lost at some point in our life. We, choo we chose a book study by the author Mark Batterson, the pastor of a Washington, D.C. church. Uh, it's just a block or so away from the U.S. Capitol. You can actually see the Capitol building from his church uh, parking lot. He published a book called Primal. This is back in 2010 he wrote this book. And the theme of the book is a quest for the lost soul of Christianity. And he wrote it in hopes of leading the church to strip down their faith to its core and to bring about a reformation movement in the church. We titled our series here at the church for this year, The Humane Race. To start off the year 2021 and seeing that we should be humane in our approach to those that we live in community with. That Christians, if they need to be known by anything, it should be love, compassion, empathy, sympathy, care for basically just being a good person. Our text is Romans chapter 12. We're going to read from verses 9 through 21 in Romans for this series, letting us know what it is to be a Christian according to the Apostle Paul to the Roman church back 2,000 years ago. So let's start off at verse 9 in Romans chapter 12. Please open your Bibles, open your phones, whatever method you're using to read uh, our text from today. Verse 9 says, let love be without hypocrisy. Everybody say, I don't want to be a hypocrite. Abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor giving preference to one another not lagging in diligence, fervent in the spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep, be of the same mind one to another, do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. 
repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but let overcome evil with good. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your instruction and righteousness to us. God, I pray today that the words of your scripture would be engrafted upon our heart. And God, that we would know them and understand them so that we could live them out and be the Christians that you're calling us to be in the world in which we live. God, we trust you. We place our faith in you. We just ask you, God, to forgive us for all of our faults. God, I pray that you would just forgive all the faults of the churches and Christians as a whole. And God, as we live in this world in which we live, we do so in our own opinion, in our own minds. God, I pray today that you would erase our opinions, that you would make us men and women of faith, that you would make us men and women of your word, and God, that we would live by it and by it alone. For it's the bread of life. In Jesus' name I pray. Everybody says, Amen. I do not intend and I do not want to be a controversial person. Everybody say, I'm with you, Pastor. If we are to live and be Christian, I believe we've got to be slow to speak according to God's word. Amen. My boss used to tell me all the time, a good Christian man, a lot older than me, and he talked about the 24-hour rule all the time. I don't know if he'd read that in a book. I don't know if he invented it. I've heard other people say it since, so I think it's been around for a while, the 24-hour rule. And that rule is if you've got time and something happens and something goes wrong and you've got a problem, you're facing a situation and something is going on, give it 24 hours before you say anything. And in doing so, if you sleep on it and if you think about it and you pray about it, what you say will differ from that moment till that t same time the next day. I think we, in our society, need to be very cautious and we need to be very selective on what we say. The Bible says that the power of life and death is in the tongue. And it also says that we will have whatsoever things we saith. So if we speak death, if we decree death, if we declare death, then death we shall receive. If we decree and declare life, then it's life that we shall receive. Jesus said, let your speech be seasoned with salt. 
How many know salt cures some things? Amen. Old timers knew this real well. Whenever they went out in their uh, uh, fall of the year and they'd had their hogs that they raised all year and they got fattened up real good and fat and they give them all the food that they extra slop that they had, it turned into some good bacon. Amen. How many like to turn some slop into some bacon? Amen. They'd do this. They'd slop their hogs with all the slop. If you've never seen a slop bucket, you've been missing out. How many, how many had a grandparent maybe that you was around that had a slop bucket sitting in their kitchen and everything they had? They didn't put it down a garbage disposal and shoot it out in the septic tank. They put it in a bucket. And that bucket was pretty sloppy. And it stunk and there was gnats flying on it. Come on, somebody. But if you take that same slop that you wouldn't touch with a spoon for nothing, you're not going to take a big bite of that. But think about it. You can take it out. Put it in a big trough, and hogs will come over, and they'll just <laughs> stand in the trough, and it's nasty. Hogs are nasty. But they'll eat it. They'll eat the rind of, of your watermelon. They'll eat all the old greasy, sloppy, muddy mess of everything mixed together. And the next thing you know, about six months later, you come on Thanksgiving or the fall of the year, and you all meet together as family, and you get out there, and you butcher that hog. And you put him up on a stake and you dip him down in that tub and you scrape all his skin and, and all the junk off the outside of him, get him down, and then you quarter him up, and then you chop him down a little bit more, and then you go to slicing, and the next thing you know, you put him in a smokehouse and you light a fire underneath it, smoke it real good, and then you go in there and put salt all over it, and it cures out. And if you've never had Joe Bacon, you're missing out. A lot of people know what bacon is, but not very many people know what Joe Bacon is. It's a lot better. It's pretty salty, but it's good. Amen? So that same slop turned into bacon. And I wonder if we would just take a step back and say, God, I'm ready for you to turn my sloppy talk into something good. Come on, somebody. I'm going to give up on my way and my ideal and my philosophy and what I think. And God, let me only speak your word and your word alone. I don't like opinions. Opinions, everybody's got one. But as I was thinking about today's message, we all know what's happened in our nation this past week. And I don't want to be a controversial church, and I don't want to be the church that gets recognized on the news. I want to be the church that lives, breathes, and talks like Jesus. And as I thought about this message, and we're in primal, we're in talking about being humane in our approach, and I think there's no better time in history for that to happen than right now. I think the church needs to hear a message on being humane. And as I was looking through and thinking about where we're at, and I've read the story this past week in the first chapter of the book, Primal, and hearing Mark Batterson talk about this message about walking down in to this Roman church that he was here visiting and getting down in and going all the way down those steps and seeing ancient ruins of a church that has stood the test of time. And he talked about how that he 
got him to this point of leading towards repentance. And I think that's one thing that the church is pretty bad at today is repenting. Amen? Scripture says pride comes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. We have to give up our ways for his ways. And his way is to repent on a continual basis. And I think Mark Batterson, as he was walking down those steps, he had pastored a church. He was leading a thriving congregation of thousands upon thousands of people in Washington, D.C. But even being a pastor, we have to repent. I'm not above anybody in this room. We're all in this thing together, and it's called life. And the more I repent, the better off I am. Can somebody say amen? The more you repent, the better off you'll be, I promise you. If you'll wake up every morning and say, Father, I pray and I've asked for forgiveness for my faults yesterday because I had some. Amen. The sooner we come to declare that and ask for forgiveness and repent of those things that we did yesterday, the better we'll come to today. So I was thinking about this and how that Mark Batterson was there and he, it led him to this journey to think about what it was to be primal or what it was to be in the first century church and how that in that first century church was a place uh, that was living their life according to the thoughts, the teachings of Jesus. And they had seen him firsthand. And it wasn't going off of third generation or now we're 50 generations away from that time. They were firsthand, saw him in the flesh, people living out their faith according to what he told them personally. And when Mark Batterson thought back to that point and thought, I want to live and go back to this primal, most basic part of Christianity. And he talked about having a church with a 501c3 and this and all these different things in that chapter about how that the church today, we have a lot of things that we think proves our faith. That we think is truly what Christianity is when it is all good things. It's not that we have to repent for what we have today. But we need to get to the core. Because I believe this, that the church makes church too hard. Amen? That Christians make Christianity too hard. That we put all these stipulations, and like he says in the chapter, we're known as a church for the things we don't believe in more than we're known for the things we do believe in. We are known for what we're against, not what we're for. So as I thought back to that first century church and how that they had lived their life and how that they were there at those moments of Jesus' life and how that he chose them by the Sea of Galilee and he asked them to come and walk with him and he chose 12 individuals and said, come, follow me. I tried to think like they was thinking and as I think primal, it takes me back and I want to I imagine myself walking in their shoes. I want to imagine myself to get to the core that I'm acting like and thinking like they thought. And last week I had you to close your eyes and just think about Jesus in a synagogue somewhere and going in and teaching a lesson and how that I wanted you to imagine yourself sitting there with, with lighting around the wall maybe in this little dark dungeon looking place known as the synagogue in the, in the hills 
of Israel. And Jesus teaching the lesson and how that if he was standing here today and we was hearing his word that we would be so intentive and we would be so thoughtful and we would be so provoked by what he was saying. These people that I'm talking about saw that firsthand on hundreds if not thousands of occasions. They saw Jesus perform miracles. They seen hands extend where there was no hand. They saw dead girls raised to life. They saw people that couldn't speak be able to speak. They saw people that couldn't hear be able to hear. And they saw these miraculous works at the hands of Jesus. What if we would think back and think, is God capable of performing miracles today where we're living, where we're at? What if we didn't go into sickness with fear, but we went into sickness with faith? Whenever Jesus walked in the room, he had to put them out because there was mourners in that room that was already crying because this little baby girl was laying there dead and they was already giving up on the case. And Jesus put them out of the room, it says. Because faith and doubt don't exist in the same room. Amen? He put them out of the place. And he goes in there and he says, Tabitha, rise up. And the second that the Son of God, Jesus himself, says, rise up, guess what has to happen? She has to come to life. Or if he's standing there at his best friend's tomb, and his best friend was this guy named Lazarus, and his two sisters was there, Mary and Martha, and they were, were so distraught, and they were tore up because their brother was dead, and they said, Jesus, you're too late. How many of us give up too early? And Jesus, they tell him, you're too late. Why'd you come now? And it says that Jesus, it's the shortest verse in the Bible, and it says Jesus, the Son of God, stands at that tomb, and it says he weeps. His humanity was there. God don't cry, but Jesus in the flesh did because he was human. He was born of our sorrow. He was born into this life as a human. He was all God and he was all man. It wasn't either or. He was both. And he wept. How many of you has ever wept? You know what that feels like. That that sorrow that it feels like it's tearing the heart out of your chest. And I don't know what Jesus was weeping about. He wasn't weeping because his best friend was dead. I think he was weeping because everybody had already given up. I think he was weeping because everybody had already said, well, he's dead and it's over. And he said, I think he's standing there weeping because he said, man, I, you don't know how many times I've preached a message about resurrection, about heaven, about eternity, about life being everlasting. I think he was weeping because of unbelief. But as he weeped, and as tears would fall on the ground, and he would look at that tomb and he said, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus, come forth. If you were standing there and you saw that firsthand and you seen a dead man in mummy clothes laid in a tomb, and then the next thing you see, the Son of God standing there and saying, come forth, and you see that mummy come walking out of that tomb, Guess what it's going to do to your faith? It's going to increase your faith. 
Amen. You're going to begin to believe the impossible is possible. What I gave up on, God didn't give up on. And why should I give up on it when he didn't? Amen. So those impossible things become possible when God gets involved. So we don't need to believe what we believe about what we think, but we need to believe what we believe about what God said. And those are two totally different things. So as I thought about this, I thought about that generation of people that was living there firsthand, and they were the primal people. They were the first church, and they were the early church that a lot of people calls them that. So as they're there and they're existing in this world that they're living in, but Jesus had been crucified on a cross and they knew it happened they saw it happen and some of them from afar Peter left he couldn't hang out very long we know the story right he's he's there and the little girl tells him you're one of them and he takes off running he's scared right he cusses the rooster crows we know the story John, the beloved disciple, he stays there the whole time. And Mary, the very mother of Jesus, is there. And Jesus looks down, hanging on this cross, and he looks and he says, Mother, behold thy son, and son, behold thy mother. So there's some of these disciples saw firsthand the Roman guard stab this Messiah, the Son of God, their chosen leader, and they see him pierced in the side. They've seen the blood come out. And they seen him lift up his head and say, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. It is finished. These are people that saw that with their own eye. You talk about primal. You talk about a core faith and having knowledge of exactly what this is. This is who we're talking about. But these disciples... Some people put them on pedestals, and we try to hold them with high regard, and I'm not saying not to, because the Bible says give honor to whom honor is due, and I think they're due some honor. Jesus chose them. I didn't. He chose them. i got to give honor there. They're a disciple. They're an apostle, according to what Jesus left them with. But I can tell you this. They were human, and some of them were not very good humans. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was getting ready to be, and he knew that as he rode this donkey into town, he knew all these things were going to happen. He knew that his uh, crucifixion was coming. He, he knew all of it. And in the midst of that garden, he tried to get him to pray with him. Guess what they did? They all fell asleep. Everybody say, that's human. I went to all-night prayer meetings before. I fell asleep up on Raceland Pew one time on the front pew, thought I was going to stay there all night and pray all night. Next thing I know, I woke up, I don't know how long I was asleep, and drool all over, and there was just a big spot on that front pew. It's easy to fall asleep when you start praying. Come on, somebody. But if you're up binge-watching some new Netflix series, you'll stay awake all night. But you start praying, and 15 seconds later, it's like, oh, man. Humanity takes over. And it won't allow our spiritual man to be renewed day by day. Our human nature that we're in, we're not born to be nice. Amen? I think the first generation of humans after Adam and Eve, I think their first two sons didn't get along very good. Amen? To the point of one of them killing the other. I know sometimes you feel like Nat Nat's going to kill him, but he, he's going to be okay. Landon's going to make it through. It'll be all right. 
It's not the boy killing the girl there. She's tougher than him. He's a sissy compared to her. <laughs> Just got real. <laughs> yes. I was there. And that was something else. But these first generation Christians were human. But Jesus didn't teach them to be human. He taught them to be humane. He taught them a new way. He said, you have heard it said this, but I say unto you this. See, they were trained in their, in their ideology, and they were trained in their religion. They were trained with everything they knew about religion and what they believed and what their denomination was and what their uh, reflection on life was. And they, they knew all these things that they had opinions, but Jesus didn't say, I come to give you an opinion and, and back up your opinion. He come to say, I come to set you free. And when you're free, you'll know it. So Jesus truly challenged what they believed. He challenged who they were as individuals. And he didn't say, I'm coming to make you the same and leave you the same. He came to give them life and give it more abundantly. And as I think about that, I think about this first generation of people and who they were. And how that they had spent three and a half years with Jesus. These first disciples, the apostles that Jesus said, come follow me. They were with him for three and a half years in ministry watching these miracles. But the second, it doesn't go their way. Peter standing in that garden of Gethsemane. The second, it didn't go his way. And he was standing there and the guards came and the high priest came. And they were going to arrest Jesus. What did he do? He took out his sword and he cut off an ear of one of those guards. You know the story. You read your Bible, you know the story. And Jesus looks over at him and says, that ain't what I called you to do. Amen? That's, that's not who I told you to be. I told you to be humane, Peter. What are you doing cutting people's ear off? How many of us do stupid things in our anger? How many of us speak anger things in anger when we should just keep our mouth shut and get a 24-hour rule happen? Peter cuts his ear off, and the Bible says that Jesus miraculously picks up his ear and puts it back on, and a miracle happened in an instant. That guy had his ear back. How many knows Peter probably felt about that tall? When Jesus has to fix your mess-ups, don't you feel about that tall when Jesus has to clean up your mess? That's what this first generation was. But as they did this, and then the next thing you know, you know, Peter, I, Peter's telling Jesus just an hour or two later. Jesus tells you, do you love me? Yeah, I love you, I love you, I love you, yeah. You, you're not going to deny me, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know you're not going to deny me, Peter. You're going to do it for the rooster crows. Peter's like, no, I'll never deny you, God. I promise you. I promise you, Jesus. I'm the one that will stick with you to the end. Jesus said, no, you won't. Yes, we will. No, you won't. Yes, we will. No, you won't. That sound like humanity? Yeah. Sounds like humans, doesn't it? No, I'm not. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. So these things existed in that moment when Jesus actually died on the cross. And you read this in the last chapter of the Gospels that you'll see as, as Jesus was pierced for our transgression. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. He gave his life for us. Isaiah calls this out and tells us what this is going to be. 
in the act of it happening, they felt like they had lost their cause. They felt like they had lost their case. And when they did this, they disbanded and they took off and they went wherever they wanted to go and they continued to do whatever they wanted to do. Jesus didn't save you so you could go on being you. You hear me? Jesus didn't save you for you to go on being you. Jesus saved you to go throughout the remainder of your life a disciple of his that has new ways, that has new thoughts, that has new talk, that has new actions. And it says the disciples, you know, they disbanded and took off and they all went back doing their own thing. And actually they lived in fear and fear was of oppression of what was going to happen to them now. They didn't want to be known as one of his. Because the Roman Empire just crucified their savior and if they found out that you're one of his guess what you're going to be disbanded and you're going to be oppressed because and we live our life out of this fear of the unknown and the oppression and I'll tell you right now if you're living in fear <laughs> you're not living in faith If you're living in fear, you're not living in faith because they are exact opposites. Everybody say, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. I'm not scared. I'm not afraid. And in studying history, we know that humans have some kind of internal instinct thing of fear, and I, I don't know why. Yesterday, or any day, if I go out and get in my car early in the morning, I don't like the dark. The Bible says we're children of the light. It don't say we're children of the darkness. It says that other camp's the dark, folks. Right, Ernie? I, I'm going to stay in the light. Amen? So if I have the opportunity to have a light on, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to turn on the light. Howie, he likes it in the dark. He'll walk through his yard in the dark. I don't know why. I, I'm not doing that. So when I go out of my house... In the morning, it's dark outside. I make sure the porch lights is on before I go on out. And when I go out the door, I look to the left, and I look to the right. And then I look back to the left. Then I go down the steps, and I get down there on the gravel. And I think, now they can hear my gravel movement. So then I turn back, and I look back again. And if Mandy goes out and starts barking in the front yard, I'll look back and forth a lot of times. I'm afraid of the dark. Dusty's afraid of spiders. I don't know what Leslie's afraid of. Dots. Dots. She's afraid of dots. There you go. Now we all know. <laughs> the truth has finally come out. There you go. I'm afraid of dark. I don't like it. And sometimes, even in the light, I still don't like being myself. And by my, I don't like being alone. I'm afraid of being alone. So yesterday, I was walking over to my garage. And I went over there several different times. And when I walked through there, I was walking over through there, and I, I, I just, I was looking. And I, I was going to my garage, and I was just looking the other way because I didn't know is somebody coming up the driveway? Is somebody walking? Is somebody coming off the hill? I don't know. 
And whenever I did it, it just happened. And I thought, man, Derek would have loved to have seen that because I looked exactly like Sasquatch. We've all seen that video, right? Sasquatch walking through there and he looks as he's going. <laughs> I, in my mind, it hit me. I, I looked just like that. I was in mid-stride and just looked the other way. If Les had a camera of it, she'd show you. No, it ain't on there. It probably is. Yeah, she's, she's got cameras all over her house. Don't come to our house if you don't want to be on camera. She even got a sign down on the thing that says, Smile, you're on camera. On the telephone pole coming up the road. But something instinctively that we are born with access to fear. Everybody's got different fears. The number one fear today is the fear of public speaking. Right? Just think for just a second. If I walk out there right now and just hand you this microphone, saying you're preaching the rest of this. <laughs> Ryan's leaving the building. He's not doing it. <laughs> See ya. I read a thing a while back that said most people have so much fear about public speaking that they would rather be the object of a funeral rather than speak at the funeral. Wow, that's, per, that's going pretty far with it, right? That's a lot of fear. <laughs> rather than talk in public, I'd rather preach a funeral. I'd rather be the one that's in the funeral. No, not me. I'll, I'll talk. Sorry. Fear is a human instinct that we're born with. Fear of oppression, fear of anything. And God doesn't want us operating in fear. If anything happens during this service today, I hope and pray that we all walk out of here with a new boldness in faith and operating in faith in our existence, in our humanity. Because fear will stop you from doing a lot of things you're supposed to do. Amen? It absolutely, it's like a tranquilizer. Fear is a tranquilizer. It will stop you from doing the right thing. Because whenever you're going down the road and the Holy Spirit speaks to you and says, I want you, need you to go over here and do this, and I need you to do something good for these people, and, and then all of a sudden this fear will come up, well, what if, and what if, and this, and that, and I don't know, and I don't know. Yeah, it'll stop you. Fear stops you from doing the right things. But these disciples were operating in fear, and this is an immediate reaction to happen whenever you see somebody crucified before your very eyes you're going to be afraid because you're one of the team that you're going to be crucified too right so they disbanded they took off and they 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 took off and went to their old life but jesus he doesn't leave them there and he chases them down he goes with these two on the on the road to galilee one time and it's immediately after his his uh, death burial and resurrection after they seen him raised from again uh, to life and and these women went to the tomb and they knew he wasn't there the angel He's not here, he's risen, you know, like the movies do. But they don't believe it. When the women come back and they tell the, the disciples, and they say, I know he's not there. I was down at the tomb. I was going to do my duty as a citizen of this nation and as a person of humanity that cares for those that have died. We were supposed to anoint him this morning, but I went there and the tomb is empty. The stone was rolled back, and I seen an angel, and he told me that he's alive. And the disciples were in so much fear, they said, you're crazy. We seen him get stabbed with a spear. I don't believe. 
And you can read the last chapter of Luke. It says they're all huddled together and they were tore up about not believing. Is that what Jesus wants you to do is not believe? He wants you to believe. Amen? He wants your faith to increase. And the longer you're a Christian, the more faith you should have. Amen? We shouldn't be operating in fear, church. We should be operating in faith. Believing that Jesus is alive. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the master of all creation. He is who he said he is. He's alive today. Forever. Sitting at the right hand of the Father. Making intercession for you and me. Jesus is praying for me right now to deliver a better sermon than I can deliver on my own. He's alive, folks. These disciples are saying, no, I don't believe it. Yeah, I walked with him for three and a half years. I've seen him bring red, dead things back to life, but I don't believe it for himself. I don't believe it. They're sitting there and they're talking about what all they ain't and what I can't and what I would and what I shouldn't. And what it says Jesus come walking in. <laughs> Amen, Ernie. Let me tell you what to do with your situation that you're sitting there living in fear. When you're sitting there thinking the whole world is lost and it's all over and there's no other way and it's just a, it's over with, I'm just writing it off. I'm just done. What you need to do is say, Jesus, come walking in. Come on in. I'm going to open up the door. Come on in. So if you're living in a home where that you're, you're facing struggles and maybe your home is in disarray right now and you don't know what's going on, just open up your front door of your living room and say, Jesus, I just welcome you. Come on in. Amen. Welcome home. I'm glad you're back. And guess what? He's going to come marching in and he's going to come in and he's going to sit down and he's going to sup with you. He's going to talk with you and he's going to increase your faith. And the way I know this is because they had fish for breakfast. That don't even sound good to me. I'm telling you right now, if Jesus comes in your house and he goes to fish and find some fish for some breakfast, I bet you'd eat it. He said, here, take it, take it a little bit. <laughs> See how good this is? It could taste like dirt. and You'd be like, man, mm, this is good stuff, Jesus. Amen? These disciples believed when they saw him with their own eyes. So if we're going to be primal, church, we have to open up our eyes, not naturally, but spiritually. The Bible says, blessed are the pure in heart. This is a thing that mom has on her wall at the house. It's home and here, and it's from the 1980s. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You get your heart right, you're going to see God. I promise you, Joe Don, you get your heart right, you're going to see your daughter sitting there in church with you. Mama, when you do get your heart right, you're going to see your son standing up talking to you. Get your heart right. And watch if you don't see things from a different viewpoint. It'll change your world dynamic. It'll change the way you view everything. And if we want to get primal, we better change our heart. Amen? I want you to just close your eyes just like last week and let's think primal again. Close your eyes, don't. And just imagine yourself just like those disciples. 
Let's play. Just, just start playing something. Luke chapter 24, verse 36. Don't look up. Keep your eyes closed and think about in a place just like those primal disciples. The ones with humanity that was going to become more humane in their approach to life. And just as they were telling about it, Jesus himself was suddenly standing among them. And he said, peace be with you. But the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. Why are you frightened, he asked. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see that this is really me. Touch me and make sure that I'm not a ghost because ghosts don't have bodies. As you see, that I do. As he spoke, he showed them his hands and his feet. Still they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. Then he asked him, do you have anything here to eat? He gave him a piece of broiled fish and he ate it and he watched he said, when I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scripture. And he said, yes, it is written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It is also written that the message would be proclaimed proclaimed in the authority of his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem there is forgiveness of sins for all those who repent you are a witness of those things and now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my father promised but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven then Jesus led them to Bethany and lifted up his hands to heaven and he blessed them while he was blessing them he left them and was taken up to heaven they worship him and return to Jerusalem filled with great joy. And they spent all their time in the temple praising God. I'm telling you right now, living primal and living humane is living more simplistic. Living primal is living in faith that the word of God is all the truth that you need to know. Living primal and living humane is spreading the good news that Jesus is the king of heaven and earth. This is primal. This is being part of the humane race. So what I want you to do right now is just to evaluate your life as you have your eyes closed and your head bowed. If you've done anything this past week that would that you know without a shadow of a doubt is not a godly thing. that in this moment, in this place right now, that you would just decide at this very instant 
to repent of those things and say, Father, forgive me. I acted outside of your will. I acted outside of your plan. I said some things that I shouldn't have said. I did some things that I shouldn't have did. Father, forgive me. Spirit, come and do what only you can do. Draw us and woo us back to our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Jesus, bring us to our core as a people. Let us see only your word as truth. That we don't look to any other source, but we only rely on your word, the Bible as our truth. Give us clean hearts. Give us pure hearts, O oh God, that we could see you. God, there's people in this room that needs to see you move in situations that they're having right now. Father, for families that are dealing with COVID, families that's dealing with loss for families that's dealing with pain and suffering God I pray today that you would just come in a fresh new way and as they repent as they turn from our wicked ways God that we would see you move in a mighty way God that their perception would change they would see situations turn for the good that you have for their life Jesus I pray today that you help us to be primal that you help us to be humane In Jesus' name I pray. Everybody says, Amen.